I do believe that people should be investing in Bitcoin, even a small percentage into their uh, the future of Bitcoin, Ethereum and, and cryptocurrencies. Early majority, late majority and laggards. Laggards always, they're always going to believe that this is bad. This is not going to work. Money is always a means to an end. And if you don't have a an end goal, right, the money is useless. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the podcast in partnership with Smartcast and the Jahi Events. More about them later. In May 2013, Da Vinci Jeremy created a YouTube video advising people to buy $1 worth of Bitcoin. That was when it was trading around about the $100 mark. Nine years later, at the time of recording, Bitcoin is trading at some $30,000, despite a recent slump. And his video has since gone viral with more than 4 million views. He is a software developer, CEO of DaVinci Codes, founder of Pandora's Wallet, and his YouTube channel, once used to talk about investments in silver and gold, is dedicated now to all things crypto. In 2019, he was awarded the best influencer of the Davos World Economic Forum. I cannot wait to talk to this man and learn about where the crypto markets are, where they're heading, and what we should do about it. Cue the music. Smartcasts are solving a food security problem around the world. By 2080, the population will have grown so much that there isn't enough food to feed them. And so they're bringing out innovative agri-tech solutions to solve that problem. This is not a small problem. It's a big problem. Climate change is affecting things. Soil erosion is affecting it as well. And so we really need to get to the bottom of it and fix this problem. And that's why I'm working alongside Smartcast to bring their message to the world so that they can solve this critical problem that exists today. Go and check them out. Smartcast Tech on Instagram, S-M-A-R-T-K-A-S-T-E-C-H. Go and look at them on Instagram. Follow what they're doing because they are making a genuine difference to all of humanity. Najahi Events have been sponsoring us since the beginning. We love Najahi Events. Alpha Mustafa, the founder, brings motivational speakers and inspirational leaders here into the region so that we can be educated by them. So if you want to be educated, you want to be inspired, you want people like Tony Robbins giving you words of wisdom and advice, then go check out Najahi Events. N-A-J-A-H-I-E-V-E-N-T-S on Instagram. You'll find them there. Okay, give them a follow and uh, say hi from me. What was it about Bitcoin that got you interested in it in the first place? How did this all begin for you? Well, it began when one of my YouTube subscribers told me, hey, DaVinci, what do you think about Bitcoin? And I looked at the web page and I was like, oh, this is a scam, right? You can't solve the double spend pro problem because I'm a software developer. I tried to build something similar in the past and I, and I failed because it was a, a programming problem that existed for uh, since computers ever existed for like 70 years. And so it, where you have, how do you have a digital asset that can't be copied where you could, I could give it to you and you know that I can't give it to somebody else. That's impossible. So uh, I told the subscriber, oh, I was so angry. This is definitely a scam. I'm going to read the source code and show you how they're scamming people. Right. And so I, I went through the source code and I was like, oh, darn. This is not a scam. <laughs> and I was quite impressed and shocked. And I realized that Satoshi had done it. I'm like, I was like freaked out. I, I, I did my next episode on YouTube. YouTube was, I was, I thought I was going to be the hero of my community because my community was the gold and silver community where we talked about gold, silver, and the, and the, the financial system and how, you know, it's, it's a corrupt and, mm -hmm. you know, only gold and silver is money because that's been money for like 5,000 years. We always, whenever the, the whenever our financial system collapses, uh, and because we always, whenever we have paper money or money that's by decree, it always collapses because we always find a way to print it into nothing. And so we, and then we end up going back to gold and silver as money. So this is, so my channel was basically pointing that out and pushing people to hope. You know, you got to hold a lot of gold. You have to hold a lot of silver because this is going to come to an end. And so that that understanding of gold and silver mm -hmm. been something that you'd been studying for a long time. Did you, did you, did you kind of like 
come out of university fascinated with how the money system works. Is that what it was? Or was it just something that gradually along the way you started to get either aggrieved by or? Believe it or not, I, 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 growing up, I, I knew something was wrong with the money and I didn't know what it was. Uh, I remember uh, asking my father, why is prices always going up? I don't understand. And my father says, oh, it's a greedy businessman. And I'm thinking, I was thinking, how is that possible? Greedy businessmen are causing their prices to go up. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Because there's always going to be somebody who's not greedy. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> so my my head as a child, like 11-year-old, I was like, that doesn't make any sense. And I have to find out what's wrong, how money works. And so I went to the library and started asking for about books about money. And there wasn't any. Oh, really? And I and I didn't know at the time, but that's by design. Of course. <laughs> because... The people who took over the money system, they didn't want you to understand how money works. Mm -hmm. And so later on in life, around 2000, it was around 2007, where I, I was watching a Republican debate. And I don't know why, because I was a complete socialist as a Canadian, right? Um, and, and this one uh, presidential candidate named Ron Paul said, our monetary system is unfair. It transfers wealth from the poor and the middle class to the rich. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. And why would the government do that? And um, and, and they said, yes. It, uh, everybody on the stage said, yeah, but uh, that's not what we're going to talk about. And they just moved on. Oh, really? And I was like, isn't that kind of important? <laughs> you all agree? <laughs> wow. <laughs> and just brushed it aside. I was realized, oh, my God, I didn't know how money works. And I got to find out how, what does this guy know? I started studying Ron Paul, and then I started studying the monetary system. Um, I, my first book I read was The Creature from Jekyll Island. That was like, for me, um, waking up uh, from the Matrix. I felt exactly like, you know, Alice bouncing down the rabbit hole, seeing things. Everything that I'd learned was just completely incorrect about money, about finance, about mortgages, about everything that you learn from the banks on television, right? Or through commercials, it's all freaking lie. I realized that and I was like, oh my God, we were all doing it wrong because we we're taught to do it wrong, right? It's really important. It's really important <laughs> what you just said because yes. the, 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 there is a, a huge amount of ignorance even to this day. You know, if you were to ask, I don't know, if you were to ask 10 people that walked past us on the street this afternoon if they understood what inflation was. They have no, no they, idea. They'd say price is increasing, but that's not what inflation is. It's actually the increase in money supply and the price increases are the result. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so when, when you say to people, do you understand what it means when you print more money or government prints more money? Do you understand what the impact is? Again, most people don't understand what the impact is. And that's inflation. Mm -hmm. uh, if you to ask most people to explain how a mutual fund works, they wouldn't be able to tell you, most people. If you ask them to explain how a stock works, now some would, but most wouldn't. And there's almost this, this ignorance because it's, it hurts their head too much to learn about it. And they go into that space of, well, it's safe in the bank, so I might as well leave it there. I'm never going to lose it if it's in the bank. I'll get myself a house. I'll get a mortgage. I'll pay that mortgage off as soon as I can. And then I'll own my house. And so nobody can ever take it away from me. And being in that place, then I'm in a, in a decent place. And then I'll save my money mm -hmm. for my retirement through an RSP or a 401k or whatever it might be. And when I get to 65, hopefully it would have grown in value. Whenever I ask anybody, what's your money in your RSP or your 401k invested in? Yeah, it's a, it's a basket. It's exactly. a basket yeah, of no a multi-manager, yes, I think, you know, mm -hmm, that kind mm -hmm, of that response, mm -hmm, you know. Mm -hmm. anyway, is your money in Vanguard? Yeah, Vanguard's one of them. Okay, so what's invested in Vanguard? Oh, I don't know. Vanguard's what it's in, though. It's very good Vanguard. Mm -hmm. And so you get this, the, the, and I've been in the investment business for 30 years. And so I know. And what I've learned is that most people, if they want to invest their money, there's two things they want to know. Is it safe? And what am I gonna get back? So it's like, so Spence, I gave you $100, you're gonna give me $110 back. Okay, let me explain how that works. That's okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, well, I'll explain anyway. And they glaze over, you know, mm -hmm. you need to know what's happening with your money. So that's why I find it really fascinating in the whole Bitcoin and cryptocurrency space. 
most people don't understand what they're investing in. And there's a lot of people saying, because they don't understand, that's wrong. They shouldn't invest. But most people don't understand what they're invested in with most things they invest exactly, in. Exactly. You know, they really don't. Nope. So why, why, why any different? Most people are just looking for the outcome, the result, what they can get. Okay, tell me about your journey then of buying Bitcoin. Can you remember when you first bought it, how you bought it? Because exchanges didn't really exist in the way they do today back then, did they? That's so true. I mean, there was no exchange except empty Gox. Uh, that was the only exchange at the time. And um, so I ended up buying Bitcoin from actually there was a few places that actually accepted PayPal payments, but only a small amount because because of the chargebacks. So they would uh, so I'd buy like thirty five dollars worth of Bitcoin here and there. And they that was the maximum you could buy per day. Thirty five dollars. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Wow. And so it was very difficult. So I was asking people around if anybody wants to sell me their Bitcoin and sell Bitcoins to me, please, I'll buy them from them. And that didn't work very well. I didn't really trust empty goxes and a wire transfer to them in, in Japan. And I was like, OK, this is kind of weird. I don't know if they're, they're going to actually, you know, credit me this money so I could buy Bitcoin from them. So but I found other people who did and they, they were successful. At it. I just didn't feel comfortable doing it. So what I started to do is mine Bitcoin since I was skilled uh, at, at putting together equipment and, and um, also programming and so forth. So. It was not a problem for me. And uh, I have several videos that are of me mining um, still available on my, my uh, YouTube channel. You can see my whole mining operation. It's quite, quite hilarious. Right? I was, it was so big and using my house as electricity, people were saying, you know, Da Vinci, this is going to look like a grow up, right, uh, to the electricity company. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, and the amount of heat that you're putting out. Yeah, grow up. <laughs> so yeah, and it turns out that there was a lot of uh, houses. There was a lot of raids on houses back then because they thought it was a grow up, but it was really? actually just mining farm. So for people that don't understand mm -hmm. what a grow up is, that's a an, an mm -hmm. indoor discreet marijuana farm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so people thought that was taking place, but mm -hmm. and 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 when you first started mining, did somebody teach you how to do it, or did you just go and kind of figure it out yourself? I figured it out myself because I'm, I'm as a software developer, right? I could do the research. I always do research and stuff like that, and I, I learn how to to you know manage computer systems and so forth. I mean, I wrote complex software applications for the company that I worked for, right? I rewrote uh, my own compression algorithm for the archival data archival system, so I can handle. Okay. Mining, <laughs> no problem. Mining by comparison, exactly, but just for yes. most people, again, if you said to yes. them, "Right, go and le learn how to mine," yeah. that's overwhelming for most people exactly as well. Yes. Okay, so you've got this mining going on, and so were you mining as much as you thought you would at first, or was it just you know dribs and drabs? No, I was mining quite a bit. I was mining about. The, I got up to around thirty-five bitcoins per day, uh, at the height of um, the, the GPU mining back in twenty eleven. So I was doing extremely well, and. Um, but the hardest thing was trying to convince people to, to buy Bitcoin back then. Um, I remember I was so I was so convinced that this was going to be the money in the future that and you had the, the opportunity of a lifetime that I said, listen, anyone who puts in a thousand dollars, I will hold back a thousand dollars of silver or gold just for them if it goes to zero. That's how confident I am. Wow. And so only five people took me off on that offer. Never. Right? Yes. The videos are still up there, actually. If you look for them, you'll find them, right? I have them in grouped in on uh, at DaVinci J15 on my YouTube channel as all the 2011 videos. So you can find exactly what I'm talking about in this in, in the in those videos. Goodness me. So I remember seeing the video where you were telling everybody just to spend a dollar. Yes, exactly. Because okay. I was getting frustrated a lot. And that video wasn't telling people to buy it at buy $1 a bitcoin for $1. It was actually just buy $1 worth of bitcoin and because they were saying they wouldn't even put a dollar right in invested into bitcoin because it's going to zero. It's a waste of time. I'm like, okay, fine. Put $1. Like really it's like you spend that on 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 lottery tickets and stuff like that. It's nothing. Just Save those those bitcoins that do, that dollars worth of bitcoins and see for yourself how well this thing does. Because if it goes to zero, so what? A lottery ticket goes to zero, right? So that was my thinking back then. And so yeah, that's a kind of like a yeah, in any way of marketing anything. And I know you weren't marketing, but any way of marketing anything, make it a no brainer. 
you know, make it, make it, you know, risk-free, make it hassle-free, make it easy. And it's, you know, look, who's got a buck, you know? Exactly. He's buying bucks worth of it. What, when you made that video, what was it trading at at that time? It was actually about $100 at that time. About $100. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, so that was the price. And when you started mining, what was the price of it? The price was, um, when I first started mining, it was around a dollar. It just was breaking above the dollar mark. It was April. And so it went above the dollar mark and it went through to like um, $5 a maximum. And I think all of April was like the tight. I remember, I, I was like, I remember a friend of mine, uh, I told him about it and he was convinced at $2, right? It was at $2. And then when it's, then a few then when he went to go buy it was like four dollars he's like I oh, forget it it's too late for me <laughs> and um, he didn't end up buying never yeah he, he ended up buying until like 2013 when it was over a hundred dollars and we realized oh my god what did I do <laughs> FOMO yes yes exactly <laughs> so you you then held on to all, all of your were you buying anything else or just Bitcoin during those those years actually I was um that believe it or not. There was no other coin um, at the time right, in March of 2011, April of 2011. It was shortly after April. I think uh, Litecoin came into the, the scene and same with Namecoin. Namecoin is now dead. But I, I, I went with the, I, I felt that Namecoin would had a better chance than Litecoin, which just wanted to be silver to Bitcoin gold. And I was like, that doesn't make sense. Bitcoin's divisible infinite, to infinity. There's no point yeah. in having it. A, uh, a uh, another cryptocurrency that acts as its silver. It's just useless. And so I didn't think it would, you know, continue on and, and become what it was because I could have mined it for absolutely zero, right? And, uh, you know, I could have bought it for absolutely zero. But I, instead, I went with Namecoin. And Namecoin was basically a system of providing um, a name, uh, like domain names, uh, on the but that was secured, so you knew that these names belonged to you. It just never took off the idea, um, and and didn't do too well. But I, but I, the reason why I was mining is because it was using the same mining algorithm as Bitcoin. So it allowed me to do merge mining, so I could mine both of them at the same time. Uh -huh. And so I actually created a pool, a mining pool, that allowed people to mine both Bitcoin and Namecoin at the same time. And so I made a lot of Namecoin. Um, and uh, I unfortunately, what, the, 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 the um, exchange I was trading with, they collapsed the day that I was, was selling the top of Namecoin. Yes, on the day. I was, there was the exact top for Namecoin. I sold it off for Bitcoin and the, they collapsed. They, they didn't, their servers had died, their hard drives had died, and they had no backup. So you lost it all? Yes. How much did you lose? I lost about um, about $2 million worth of it, the name coin. And how did that feel in that moment? Actually, it was, it was I didn't feel that bad. It was like, yeah, I was mad, but it was like, yeah, easy come, easy go. It's good to it's good to know that that you had that experience because a lot of people that see the the, the successful people in the in the mm -hmm. crypto space they don't realize that they've had their you know they've had their losses too mm -hmm. you know they've had their their headaches mm -hmm. along the way. So when when was that 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 collapsed? What what year and what month? That was in um, 2012, right? Um, I remember that it was I was selling everything into into the I think it was 2012. Yes, I believe that the collapse happened, and I was so ups I was a little bit upset, but then just. You know, so because I was only upset because everybody else was, because a lot of people lost money. It wasn't the only yeah, one, right? After losing that, go, whoa, I don't know if I want to go into anything other than Bitcoin now. I think I'll just stick with what I know and what I'm comfortable with. Or were you still very curious as to other things that came out and were available afterwards? Um, no, I was thinking I was a maximalist for a while at first until one person pointed out uh, when I moved to Chile shortly afterwards, one person pointed out, so you don't believe in competition? You don't think that, um, you know, that people should have the right to build other cryptocurrencies to see if they can make it? And I was like, yeah, I do believe in competition. Right? Competition is good. Yeah. And so that's when I, I switched from being a maxi to saying, okay, yeah, I'm going to accept other cryptocurrencies uh -huh. because one, it not only provides uh, competition for Bitcoin, but also a means of the developers seeing 
what works and what doesn't out there mm -hmm. so that they could probably in the future incorporate that into Bitcoin. And it brings further awareness mm -hmm. as well, doesn't exactly, it, to yeah. that whole space. Mm -hmm. So you're sitting there, you've opened, the guy's kind of made a point and made you go, hmm, okay, that's mm -hmm. a fair point. Yeah, exactly. And then every time you invested in anything other than Bitcoin, did you do a huge amount of research or did you listen to the sales pitch? How did it work for you? Well, going well, I started really investing into other cryptocurrencies around um, the to 2015, right? I didn't do it at first. At first, I didn't know whether to to, to invest in because I didn't know which one was going to do well, which one. I didn't know how to actually analyze them properly because it was just it was just explosion of so many of them. And I was always listening to somebody else, and I didn't like doing that. And you know, just you only have so much time in your life in order to spend the time. The real time that's needed to research that uh, any particular asset and so um I, I in 2015 i came up with a a method that evaluated um the, the the cryptocurrencies in a quick and easy way now that method doesn't work anymore but it did back then and so i used that method to give a points quick point system basically on each cryptocurrency based on how much supply it had, whether it's fixed, whether, um, mm -hmm. whether um, you know, there's a good team, whether, you know, they were uh, uh, updating it on in the GitHub, all these kinds of key points in order to determine whether or not this currency, uh, this cryptocurrency was, you know, worthwhile investing in. And yeah, it worked extremely well. Mm -hmm. It gave high points to certain cryptocurrencies that did extremely well into the 2017 bubble. Um, I remember like Doge uh, Dash, which is one of the example ones that I was like, yes, this one's a, a decent coin that had the highest point rated, rated systems. Uh, and same with XR, XML. Um, no, it's it's um, not. Is it XML? Is it uh, Monero? Yes, Monero. Monero. That had a high rating, and um, and yeah, I was uh, I, I did well with that, but I did it also in conjunction with the little lady uh, strategy, a friend the person who taught me how to trade his name is brian beamish he came up with a little lady strategy and i I've, I've been using it ever since and it was an easy way for you to invest in all the different cryptos out there without a lot of research just or just the technical analysis and and how to you know profit from them because a lot of them go up and down like a horse drawers mm -hmm. basically you could actually profit from that those that uh, that movement because what happens is you could sell half on a double and then when it comes back down you can go okay well i can buy this now that it's low enough and then they usually just double again and then you can sell half on a double and so one of the one of the crazy coins that i knew that was going to zero that was absolutely destined to zero i actually invested in and that coin was called Titcoin. Titcoin. Yes. Wow. You, you could actually Google it right now because you can see a story about what it is um, on YouTube, and you will die of laughter. You go like, really? This is good. You really think this is gonna work? <laughs> it's hilarious. And you, so you knew it was going to zero, but in the meantime, man, I profited the most. Let's let's talk about why cryptocurrency and digital assets are the future, why we have to replace fiat money with this, and why people like Michael Saylor, who's obviously very, very stern, Robert Breedlove and Raoul Paul, find it hard convincing the world that this exists and this is real, this situation. Oh man, that's a lot. There's a lot there. Why is this the future? Well, because this is fair and honest money. This is money that, you know, that it has a fixed supply and it can't be changed by no man, not, no one man can change it, or no group of men can change it. And why is that important? Well, imagine if you had, like imagine if we tried to build something with a ruler where the government decided how much, how long the ruler is every single day, every single day. Yeah. Would you be able to build something? No, never. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. That would be impossible. So that, why, how, how is it possible for us to build um, our, our retirement and our future plans with a monetary supply, monetary system, where you don't know how much you need in the future. Think about this, because I was thinking about it as growing up and, and trying to you know, plan for my retirement. I'm like, okay, well, how much do I need? Um, well, maybe I can use like a million dollars, 
but you don't know how much a million dollars is worth, what it's going to buy by the time you retire. Okay, so what I, okay, when I have to calculate inflation, but what if inflation is a lot more than the future? I don't have any, I don't have anything, any kind of metrics to know what do I need so I can survive in the future? There's no way to come up with that metrics. Now, with Bitcoin as a money, there is. You could have a fixed number of Bitcoin that you need, and you'll know that it's guaranteed that the value will be there because the supply is fixed. And as more people come into the population, that means that more, it'll provide even more value for you. So now your fixed amount of Bitcoin will provide you even more value in the future. So you don't have to guess how much <clears throat> how much dollars you need like like you do now you have to you know exactly how much you need and then you can say okay well not only that uh, this exact amount will help me in the future also i know that it's going to be worth a lot more when that's you, the beauty of that's it. really interesting because it, for you not to be able to calculate what you're going to need in the future is a really difficult situation to put yourself into because you know let's say you're 35 years old now and you retire at 65 in 35 uh, 30 years time what do you actually need yes with inflation averages you can say three percent inflation a year let's calculate it that way but right now this very minute we're sitting in a time where inflation is off the charts okay you can't even you can't even imagine you know because we say official figures are six percent seven percent eight percent nine no they're not okay Mm. but fuel in this country has gone up by 56 percent this year on its own let alone anything else and so we're seeing we're seeing it very very difficult for us to start to think about that so if that's the case everybody should lean into something that can help them avoid that as per your explanation agreed exactly but it's difficult because here's the reason why for people to change right when we first came up with paper money backed up by the gold did you think oh duh, everybody went yes let's do it Immediately? No. They were IOUs, weren't they? Exactly. And it took, it took hundreds of years for people to, to actually finally go, yeah, 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 that makes sense. That I should hold you know, notes instead of like bags of gold. That, this is really right? interesting. This is really interesting. Hundreds of years for people exactly. to change from one system, exactly. which was gold and silver, like this, mm-hmm. into pieces of paper. And the gold being out of the bowl in the, in the bank. Yes. People don't, and people don't respect that. Exactly. They don't respect the time it takes for te- people to uh, adopt technology. When, first, when, go- when electricity was invented, for example, the first thing they did was they lit up, uh, one of the things they did was they lit up the, the Eiffel Tower. They were like, oh, this is crazy. One, right, this is, this is, this is going to burn down your house if you put wires through your whole house. You crazy? Yeah. And how are they going to possibly get electricity because they had using DC electricity to any place in the world and to the cities, you're going to need a huge cable the size of a bus in order to get DC electricity to some people's to a whole city uh-huh. block, right? And that's true because uh, DC electricity, you could you, you have to use a lot of current and you need a big cable. But eventually, you know, Tesla came up with alternative alternating mm-hmm. current. Mm-hmm. which will allow you to use a small cable, but higher voltage mm-hmm. to change it so that you can step it down and then convert from a- DC to, to uh, uh, AC, sorry, to DC. And then, yeah, this is a, what now today we can use electricity for a lot more than just lighting up your house, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the key thing about Bitcoin is we could use Bitcoin for a lot more than just making payments. There's a huge underlying features that are built inside the Bitcoin protocol that can only come into existence once everyone uses it for money. Once that happens, it opens up a whole new world for money because Bitcoin um, is more than just um, a new type of money that that um, we can we can just use because it's the type of money that's invented that has one key feature that none of the other types of money that we've invented, we've run through like five different types. One of the key, all the, all the, all the different types of money that we've invented requires an individual or group to be the owner of it, basically. For the first time ever, Bitcoin is money that where your refrigerator or your car can be the owner of the money. A thing can own the money. This opens up a huge realm of possibilities where you have actual 
physical items working for you to pay you. So imagine you have these cameras here. Imagine these cameras were programmed so that they, they uh, get paid for you to use them. So for example, you want to use them, you just send a small amount of Bitcoin to them. And the person who actually owned the cameras gets paid. Wow. Imagine a world like that. Man, that's... Yes. It opens up a whole, 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 whole crazy avenue. That's almost beyond, I mean, that's... Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Wow. <laughs> and that's possible. Yes. Now, so now that's for the first time ever. First time ever that's possible. Yes. Jaw dropping. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I can see it in your, your mouth. is like... Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I get that. I get that. This the is whole... bigger. Bitcoin's bigger than just a simple payment system. It's way bigger. It's simple. It's bigger than even just that I just told you. Even this is is, is like mind blowing. No, 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 it's got more. When, <laughs> it's got more. When you consider that governments need to be in control, okay, for them to be happy, and they, they want to retain that control no matter what, and whether you're the part of the Illuminati or whatever you want to call it, the governments, the central bank, the Fed Reserve, Will it only ever truly work when they have some form of control of it? Okay, let's just let's just break that down, right? Um, back when they invented the Gutenberg press in the 1400s, no government or church, because those were the two entities that were in control, wanted people to have books, and this is why today we don't have any books. Okay. That's right. It doesn't matter what the governments want. Yeah. You cannot stop a technology whose time has come. When the Gutenberg was pressed, they just tried to destroy it. It's just people created more and books eventually became prevalent for everybody and it, had, it improved society. You cannot stop or control the production of books. They can try controlling it, but they've, they've failed so far, don't you think? I mean, a lot of people have gotten, mm -hmm. I've gotten books that you know that the governments didn't want people to have right i have a control i have access to a lot of books that the government doesn't want people to have but doesn't matter right but you're, de can... you're, you're dealing essentially with the a new world order so it's so much bigger than money and payments yes you're, bitcoin you're, yes you're taking all control away from all powers that crave control yes there's, they've, they've lost it before and they're going to lose it again. It's happened before and it will happen again and they will, they will, they will find other ways to get control and then they'll lose that control. That's the cycle of things, right? So, um, and this is, a, this is the beauty of Bitcoin. There's nothing they can do except slowing it down. They know that. And they've already done a very good job of slowing it down. They've, really, they've woken up way back in 2017 and they've started putting a lot of things in place since then to, to slow down the, the adoption of bitcoin mm -hmm. and we can name a couple if you like yeah let's do it okay well it started with the the naming it as a commodity mm -hmm. right by producing by making it a commodity right making trades is directly with that commodity is still it's a taxable event and on top of that um well it, well, let's put it on the commodities exchange, right? Mm -hmm. They allowed it to go on the commodities exchange. Well, um, Bitcoin and Ethereum is now on the commodities exchange. They're both assets. The first asset on the commodities exchange where if you ask for delivery, because that's what the commodities exchange is, it's allowing to trade commodities on that exchange and ask for delivery of the commodity, right? So if you take, you write up a contract saying, I owe you um 10 bitcoin in 90 days right you're supposed to be able to receive those bitcoins if you decide to request the delivery just like you do with oil right so for mm -hmm. example we're back remember when oil went negative well yeah that the, oil was delivered wasn't it the reason why it went negative is because nobody wanted to take delivery of yeah. those oil contracts yeah. because they had no place to put it yeah right <laughs> so yeah that's what the commodities exchange is all about you being able to to get the commodity Right. Once the contract expires. Mm -hmm. Well, if the contract expires for Bitcoin and Ethereum, you do not get paid in Bitcoin and Ethereum. You only get paid in cash. It's the first commodity that's ever been like that. Ever in the history of the commodities exchange. I never knew that. <laughs> yes. 
I never knew that. Yeah. The first, the first, the first salvo of uh, slowing down the, the price. Yeah, man. <laughs> has been shot across the bow. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's number one. The second shot, right, was um, a, lot, a lot of people don't realize it. They think it's a positive, right? Is that the ability to be able to um, to allow to deposit your Bitcoin and earn interest on it, staking. Yeah, basically, you know, somebody um, can borrow those Bitcoins and, you know, you get interest on the Bitcoin. Now, there's a, several problems with that, right? Um, you know, you understand the, lim the limited nature of Bitcoin, right? Mm -hmm. Well, most people don't understand the power of compounding since this is a compounding interest here. Mm -hmm. uh, so to, to really really capture your understanding of compounding. Let's just start with $1 when Jesus Christ was born. And that's 2% rate compounded monthly, meaning that not actually 2% every month, it's actually 0.05% um, or so, not less than that, but it's a very small amount, right? Per, per, per month that's compounded, right? And so let's compound that Every for two thousand years, two two percent a year for two thousand years. Yes, yes, okay. compounded. Yeah. How much? What's the number you would own uh, at, at after two thousand years? Well, the number would be so big that it would be bigger than all the atoms in all of the universe. All the atoms in all, <laughs> all of the, the universe. universe. Yes. Two thousand years of yes. compounding at two percent yes. a year. After two thousand years, non-touching, not touching it. So you understand it becomes a huge hockey stick, right? Yeah, yeah. When you have like even a small amount, a small percentage. Yeah. Now imagine if you started with a larger number than one. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, so imagine uh, what's happening inside these, a uh, lot of these funds that do you think they really have all that Bitcoin? They probably don't. They probably have contracts with the Federal Reserve, right? Saying, hey, you know what? If you know, we default, you guys are going to bail us out or with the bank, right? Because they can print as much money as they want, just so you know. Yeah. <laughs> right? I think people so, don't understand that. They can print as much money as they want. want you know? yes. there's, no, there's, no, there's no limit to how much paper they can print. And because of that, they can always guarantee that you're going to get the paper dollars, right? And some people might go, well, that's okay. Oh, okay, fine, fine. We'll talk about why that's not okay in a minute, right? Um, we we all know that you know the governments have price controls, but anyways, let's let's just talk. Continue on why this is a bad bad thing. Now you're lending in your you're lending these these bitcoins, right? And you're like, okay, great, I'm getting an interest. But who's borrowing the bitcoin? Ever thought about that? No, no. Well, it's the people who want to sell into the market, right? And so they're gonna borrow the bitcoin to sell into the market. Well, they've got a problem. What happens if I buy that Bitcoin and then add it to my, you know, okay, hold on, hold on. Do you think the people who are selling in the market are that dumb? They need to be able to buy back the Bitcoin in order to, you know, profit, right? Because, you know, that's, that's how it is, right? In this society, you want to be able to profit. So how can they know for sure that they can actually, you know, sell the Bitcoins at the right time and profit and be able to buy it back? Because they're going to need people to sell it to them to buy it back especially since they're selling a whole lot mm -hmm. into the market, right? Well, this is where phase two of this plan comes into effect. The government also allowed companies to allow you to borrow against your Bitcoin so that you can, you know, deposit your Bitcoin and, you know, borrow on um, 50% of the equity of that mm -hmm. <clears throat> or less, maybe 20, 20% or whatever. And so a lot of people did that. A lot of people who have a lot of uh, Bitcoin borrowed against it, and most of those, um, most of those, uh, they most of them get liquidated around twenty thousand, twenty-one thousand dollar mark, meaning that those Bitcoins come into sale in order to cover the loan that they have. So, as a person who is, you know, has the opportunity to borrow some Bitcoin and sell it into market. They have a target price where they can guarantee that they can get liquidity. Okay. Right? So they can buy back the Bitcoin mm -hmm. and pay them back. Okay. So that's, that's another way that they have provided 
uh, ways to suppress the, the adoption of Bitcoin because everybody cares about price. Nobody cares what Bitcoin can do. They just care about price. Price well, is, after what you said 10 minutes ago, I now really care about what Bitcoin can do. Mm -hmm. My camera is trying to yes. make money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so no, but that's people who want to research and study and realize what it is, right? They, like Michael Saylor did, right? But that's not everybody, right? Most mm -hmm. people, they, they're going about their lives. They're a doctor, they're a dentist, they're you know, a lawyer, whatever. They, they don't have time to research what's in the latest craze. It's the only thing that pays, gives them any kind of attention is when, you know, price is going higher and they go, okay, what's going on over there, right? They need to have some sort of something interrupt what they're doing in their daily lives in order for them to go and find out what's going on. So that's what, that's why they have to suppress the price yeah. as part of the, the, the process it's, of keeping people out of Bitcoin. The Luna example recently where Luna went bust and the involvement of BlackRock. That to me stinks of outside sources wanting to create negativity and fear in a marketplace, more so to keep people away from wanting to buy into crypto assets than, than would normally be excited to do so. Do you agree with that? And can you explain it's, what happened a little it's bit? It's a possibility, but it was most likely just that the, when I looked at the, the, um, the protocol and after the fact, I should have done it before I invested. I just saw my friends investing and I was like, oh, okay, let me invest too. If I just stopped and said, okay, why don't you just read the white paper first? Because the first thing I would have looked for is whether or not they had a plan for um, what's called tail risk, what major event, whether it be to the positive or to the negative. Because the problem with the stablecoin is that there's always going to be an event where uh, the market goes absolutely haywire and you need to be able to prepare for that. So the market can go haywire in, in both going on the downside and to the upside. Mm -hmm. I noticed that MakerDAO does not have a plan for the upside. Okay. Right? They do have a plan for the downside, but not the upside. And they, that's a little scary. They need to have a plan for the upside because that's going to happen where, you know, what happens when the dollar gets collapsed in the, in the value rapidly. They don't have a plan for that, right? So people rushing in mm -hmm. to, and suddenly throwing them dollars, right? So they need to manage that as well. But anyways, the way I saw it is that there was a huge hole that anybody could have taken advantage of, right? That had enough money to do so. Because I saw that once I read the white paper and read, went through this, I was like, oh, darn, this was obvious, right? It was, there was, there was too much of, there was two big holes in this, this algo coin. And I'm like, and the reason why I didn't like, if I just spent my time studying it, is because I saw Mike Novogratz and everybody else, mm. the huge names. So I figured they would have had the same knowledge that I did. No, not everybody has the same knowledge. The guys with your finger on the pulse that know exactly what's going on, the, the, part, the guys that we look to, mm -hmm. okay? Even sometimes you get caught up in the hype. Exactly. And that's what happened. Okay. Yes. We got caught that's up in the hype. That's kind of reassuring and not to know at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got caught up in the hype and I didn't actually look. If I looked, I would have saw immediately that this was not going to work. Immediately. Tell me what, what, what you hold nowadays, because I heard that you don't hold Bitcoin anymore and you're more... <laughs> I hold Bitcoin. No, 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 no. No, I hold a lot of Bitcoin. Okay, so you do right. hold a lot of Bitcoin. Yes. But do you, do you I was, hold... I was joking about that tweet, that tweet where I said I sold all my, my assets for Sheeb and and uh, Dogecoin, and I put underneath it, it's a joke. What do you hold? Bitcoin and Ethereum and, 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 and Binance coin in the major majorities. Bitcoin, Ethereum and Binance coin, okay. And so when you see the price going from 60 odd thousand down to 29,000 as it sits around today of Bitcoin, um, anybody that's coming into this market today, you know, traditionally as an investment advisor myself, okay, I find it hilarious that people always want to buy at the top. They want to see a load of performance before they'll get their, their, their toes in the water. Mathematically, economically, intellectually, it's better to buy when it's cheap than it is when it's expensive. Now, you can argue when cheap is. Mm -hmm. Is cheap at 30000 compared to $1? No, okay? But cheap at 60000 now at 30000 then arguably it's got a 50% discount on it. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? And should, should your average investor be investing um, a percentage of their, their salary, a percentage of their portfolio, and what that percentage is into crypto assets, whether it's Bitcoin, Ethereum, or others, okay, for their long-term future? 
Well, I do believe that people should be investing in Bitcoin, even a small percentage into their uh, the future of Bitcoin, Ethereum and, and cryptocurrencies because um, they're here to stay. This is a new um, asset class that's not going away. It's decentralized. It's uh, permissionless with uh, cryptocurrencies, right? As money, anyone can produce uh, 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 advantages to our, our crypto universe so why, for why, free. Yeah. And, and we, we all benefit, all of us. So why, when you take someone like Warren Buffett, um, he's, okay, we know he's ancient, okay, but he's an incredibly successful investor over you know, many, many, many decades and generations. He's very anti-crypto. We know that. Now, we mm -hmm. can argue he knows his lane, he's in his lane, and he's stuck in his lane, and that's mm -hmm. it. Yeah, exactly. But I, I kind of think he's smarter than that, okay? But let's take somebody else like Peter Schiff. In 2007, Peter predicted the market was going to crash. He came on, and there was a big argument on CNBC where Art Laffer, that was advisor to Bill Clinton, yeah. going, you know, you don't know what you're talking about, Peter. The market's in good condition as it is. Everything's going to keep going on. And Peter Schiff was like, it's just not, mate. Okay, like, these are these that. are the. Do you remember that? No, the reasons yeah, why. Yeah? Show people that. Oh, yeah. well, that's people, he's like, this yeah. is what's going to happen. And mm -hmm. lo and behold, it did. And on mm -hmm. the back of that, Peter Schiff in America mm -hmm. became this guru, in essence, and everyone started giving their money to him because he could predict the future and. Mm -hmm. and and he became very successful and many of his clients did. And he's very, very anti, okay, crypto. And he'll openly talk about it. Mm -hmm. Why do you think people like that? And let's, let's park Warren Buffett because he's very old. But why, why do you think people like Peter Schiff don't get it? There's always a laggards going to be in our, um, whenever it comes to technology. There's, there's people who are, there's a, if you look at a, te a technology adoption curve, there's like, you know, early adopters. Mm -hmm. Right, the late majority. Right, I mean early majority, late majority, and laggards. Laggards always, they're always going to believe that this is bad. This is not going to work. Blah blah blah. There's always going to be a percentage of the population that will be holdouts, but they're very small. Right, and and Peter's just early. He's just an early holdout. That's all he is. Right, that we can identify. He's going to hold out. Bitcoin's going to be money, and he's going to actually be using it to pay for stuff, and he's still going to be against it. He's still going to say this is not going to work, <laughs> right? He's going to be there right to the very end because it's part of his identity now. Yeah, he right? said he stole that, hasn't he? Yeah, exactly. So Can't say he's wrong. Exactly. It's, just, it's too much of his identity at this point, so... It wouldn't be. It wouldn't make any sense for him to change, and it'd be funny. It's be. It's fun for him. It's. I'm sure it's fun for him to to do this because every time he does, it's like you know a wasp of bees just come like attacking him, and, and he's enjoying that because I do that too myself, and I love it with XRP. Whenever I ha insult XRP, people just come. The the, the XRP come army just comes at me like, <laughs> and it's fun. It's fun. So Go. yeah, he's going to he's going to do this right uh, until the end of time, right? Until yeah, until he's long dead, and he'd still be saying on his grave, his epitaph, "I still hate Bitcoin." I've no idea how much money you made and how wealthy you became, but I'd like to talk to you about money and the impact money has had on your life and the and the lifestyle that comes with amassing a sizable fortune. And I'll talk about it from my experience when I was younger. So obviously I'm older than you, which you're mm -hmm. very happy to yes. know. <laughs> I'm so glad, so glad. <laughs> Oldest man talking about crypto today. So back when I was in my um, early 30s, I started to make really good money. Um, I started to make millions and I started to become, um, uh, I'll describe this really subtly. Uh, I became a bit of a knobhead. If I'm really honest with you, I became a bit arrogant, a bit obnoxious. I thought I was amazing. It was yacht parties every five minutes, you know, private jets and all the all the things, the trappings that come with having this wealth and never, never grow, you know, growing into it, really. And then after a while of being in that place, my life changed and I started to realize that there was no value to it. It didn't it didn't actually inspire me. It didn't it didn't, it didn't you know, whatever I could buy became actually quite sad because I remember as a kid saving up for my first pair of sneakers. 
You know, my Nike Airs when I was 13 or 14 years old meant the world to me. They mm -hmm. were in burgundy with gray. Look, I remember them now. And I kept them in the box and I looked after them and I had to save up, I think, $49 to buy them or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. But that, that whole process of working and saving, being able to buy it, all of a sudden when you've got more money than you know what to do with, th there's no joy in shopping. There's no, so material things all of a sudden become meaningless and pointless. So I started to find meaning in other things when I realized that money really wasn't the true source to my happiness. Has it been a source of happiness for you? And did you get to a point where you realized that actually all of these lifestyle things that come with having a lot of money really don't carry much value to you? Yeah, I mean, money is always a means to an end. And if you don't have a an end goal, right, the money is useless. Because like, for example, if you're in the middle of a, I don't know, island, right, and you've got a bunch of money, it's, it's not very helpful, right? Because there's nobody else there mm -hmm. to, you know, to use it. So money is always a, a tool that we use in our society. And you must always remember that and treat it as such. And so when you want to accomplish something, make sure you have a goal basically for your money. Don't just say, oh, well, I want a million dollars for what? Well, so I could have be financially free. You can be financially free right now. Right. You just change your, your lifestyle. <laughs> it's, it's not. Um, the money is not the, the end result, right? You have to decide what that result is and go for that. And then, unfortunately, you're going to have to come up with another goal in the future. Because once you get to that goal, you'll only be happy for a very short amount of time. Maybe a month, maybe two. And then you'll be like, what else is there? And so make sure you have a goal that goes beyond, goes beyond your lifetime. And so you'll never achieve it and you'll always be working more towards it. Interesting. A goal beyond your lifetime so you'll never achieve it and you'll always be working towards it. It's quite profound when you think about that. Mm -hmm. And well, my goal is to ensure that central banking never comes back to humanity ever again. And you think that won't happen in your lifetime? No, it won't. But um, yeah, you know, you want to be able to educate the population that takes a long time. I mean, for example, when um, they created the, the Central Bank of America, the Federal Reserve, the first thing was their goal was to make sure that no one knew what was going on. That took a long time for them to, to produce that result beyond their lifetime. I think I've done I th 191 interviews, and I think this has got to be in my top five interviews I've ever done. Really? Why is I that? I really, really enjoyed talking to you. Your, your depth of understanding and your knowledge of your industry and the way that you explain it and your enthusiasm for it, it just oozes out of you. I was excited from the day I first heard about Bitcoin and I was like annoying every single person I possibly could. <laughs> <laughs> da Vinci, Jeremy, thank you so much for coming to join us on the show today. It's been Thanks an for absolute joy. Yeah, it was, it was lots of fun. Cheers. Well, what did you learn from that episode? I mean, what a great guy. Da Vinci taught us so much about the history of money, the history of many things really, and why he thinks it's important to understand cryptocurrency and how it's absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, going to play an even bigger role in our futures. It's easy to ignore it. It's easy to brush it aside. It's easy to say, I don't understand. You will lose if you don't learn about this kind of stuff. You will lose. And people like Da Vinci Jeremy are there to educate us and help us understand better what to do, why we should do it, and how we can take advantage of it. If you're listening to this episode on iTunes, then do me a favor and leave a five-star rating. Uh, you know it matters. You've more, than, more than you can imagine, it really matters. And if you're listening on any other podcast platform, some love, some feedback, some engagement, a follow, whatever it might be, means a lot to us because as I say every single week, the more people that get the opportunity to see this and hear this podcast, the better I can get reach to other people and bring value to them too. Right, I'll see you on the next episode. Have a good week ahead.